Hello and welcome to Leanne Ward Nutrition, a podcast where you will find expert advice on all things health and nutrition related. Each week, we will discuss my three niche areas of gut health, emotional eating and sustainable fat loss. My hope for this podcast is to cut through the BS online and show you real, practical and evidence-based messages around nutrition so you can live your best life day in and day out. So sit tight, buckle up, and let's get started on today's podcast. Today's special guest is Simone Austin, an advanced sports dietitian, speaker, and the chief health officer at Healthy Life. Simone shares her experience from over 30 years of experience working in elite sport with some of Australia's most successful sporting teams, such as the Australian men's cricket team, Hawthorne AFL Football Club, Melbourne Storm Rugby League, Melbourne City A-League, and more. Simone was the president of the Sports Dietitians Australia for five years and is currently a Dietitians Australia board director. Simone has worked in the areas of sports nutrition, health advocacy, community health, the food and wellness industry. She's also run a private practice for 25 years and is currently the nutrition ambassador for Armors Australia. Her book, Eat Like an Athlete, shows practical advice for everybody. On today's episode, Simone and I utilize her experience in sports nutrition to chat all about how to fuel and eat like the everyday athlete. You can follow Simone on Instagram. She's at Simone underscore Austin. And let's dive into this week's episode. Today's episode is monitored by Garmin. If you're sick of charging your fitness smartwatch every night, Garmin gives you up to 11 days of battery life on a single charge. So if you want a smartwatch that stays on your wrist and not on your charger, head to garmin.com.au to find out more and use my code LEANNE10 on any venue SQ2 for a limited time only. Now here's our podcast. Welcome Simone to the podcast today. We're very excited to have you on as our special guest. And I'm excited to be here. Well, we love to start the podcast by hearing a little bit about your background and a little bit about your career to date. So you've had a very exciting one. Would you like to tell our listeners a little bit about how you got started in the world of it's sports dietetics, really? Yeah, I realise now that it's uh, 30 years since wow. I have been a dietitian because I just got acknowledgement from our Peak Body Dietitians Australia that I've been a member for 30 years, Leanne. Congratulations. <laughs> it's been a long journey and I actually started it in community health. So I started some two new positions working in community health, but at the same time as doing that, my sports nutrition was running alongside it and I started at AFL Club what was called Footscray back then, and it's now the Western Bulldogs. And I was doing some Vic Fit lecturing, which gave me my love of presenting, some private practice where I was seeing sports people, but also general public. And then I moved into um, having children. And so I stopped my community health job. I kept my sport going. So I worked at the Australian cricket team for about seven years. And I then started doing some work at Swiss Wellness and the food industry, but also look that related back to sport. Then I had 12 years at Hawthorne Football Club and during that we had three premierships, which is pretty special. Yeah, absolutely. And then at the same time as working there, I was consulting a little for a few years to Melbourne Storm Rugby League, Melbourne City A-League Soccer and I did a year, inaugural year at the Melbourne Rebels. So a lot of men's elite sport and I wanted to share it. So that's when I wrote my book, Eat Like an Athlete and moved on to doing things like Sports Dietitians Australia President as a volunteer for five years and COVID hit and uh, that's when I stopped being at Hawthorne Football Club and 
doing as much as sport and we can talk about it a bit more but I've moved into sort of advocacy and a bit more of a public health role. Mm -hmm. Lovely such an exciting mix of things that you've done over your career but that's exactly why I wanted to bring you on today because of your experience with that high level athlete and then seeing if we can translate that down to what we call the everyday athlete such as myself. (laughs) I think all of us are a little bit in that pocket aren't we it just depends what your level of activity is but Whatever you're doing, I think we can use the sports nutrition philosophy to perform at your best, whatever that is for you. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Well, let's begin for our listeners by, I guess, defining what the biggest differences are between those high-level athletes that you've worked with in the past and what we would call an everyday athlete such as you and I, people that just enjoy exercise, but we're not getting paid for it. It's not our full-time job. We're not, you know, the best in our class, put it that way. Yes, I think elite athletes, particularly the ones who are more paid versus maybe say your Olympic athletes who it's a bit different, but it's their jobs. So they're they're really under scrutiny for their performance. So there's probably, I feel, a lot more stress related into to that. I can't think of a job where you would have maybe half a dozen coaches, all the public scrutinising you, the media, your teammates, you would be reading watching videos and people just analysing your performance to the nth degree. So I suppose that's the biggest difference between an elite athlete and the everyday where we can enjoy our activity, choose what we want to do. Uh, they kind of always choose. Also, if they they might not want to do, I don't know, um, sprints today, but if that's what the team's doing, then that's what you'll be doing. So there's a lot between what they have to do and have to do to perform and under scrutiny versus uh, say someone who's doing it more because they set their own goals. And I think I know which one I want to be, Leanne, and it's the one that chooses what you want to do probably. An elite athlete lifestyle is a pretty tough lifestyle. Absolutely. Just that pressure to perform 24-7 would just, yeah, I don't think I could handle it either. I don't do that well under stress. <laughs> and that external scrutiny that you're getting, whether it be right or wrong, it's there, it's public. And that's probably even where health comes so much more into that elite athlete than maybe people often just think it's about perfecting the skill. But the health to and eating and sleeping to actually combat that stress and that continual having to be on becomes even more important, I think. And then when we think about the health and even the fitness component of it, how do these professional athletes stay so strong and fit? And I guess how is that applicable to our everyday athletes as well? The good thing about it is that people seem to think an elite athlete's diet, for instance, is going to be so different to the everyday athlete, but it's actually not. It's just they're having to do it more rather than maybe choosing to do it. They are still using the nutrition to perform at their best. So it's still about preparing yourself for whatever activity you're wanting to do, fueling yourself enough. It's about recovering for whatever your next session might be. Lots of people still are thinking about body composition. I can even think about my son and his friends who go to the gym. They're by no means elite, but they're thinking about wanting to put on muscle mass, you know, in their early 20s. Elite athletes, I can remember early footballers would come and it's the same thing. They've got the same goals. I suppose there's just more scrutiny on an AFL footballer having to be light and fast and performance and measuring it. But uh, we can still do the same things for an elite and an everyday athlete. 
Mm, absolutely. And then changing track a little bit, we hear a lot about pre-workout nutrition. And I think a lot of people, when they hear the word pre-workout, they think it's like, you know, the powder that you put into water, it gives you that tingly feeling. But as sports dietitians, we really want people to think about nutrition as being whole food, don't we? So I guess my question for you is, what is a good type of pre-workout nutrition snack? And why would somebody need or want a pre-workout nutrition snack? Yeah, I think particularly if you're doing an activity that is going to go for 90 minutes or longer, you definitely need to be thinking about a really hearty, probably a meal really before. So it might be having a second lunch. So I would often talk to the footballers about having an early lunch around 11, having another lunch maybe around two. And that 11 o'clock one recovers from your earlier session, but also prepares you for the next bout of exercise. So if you might be at work and you might be going to exercise straight after work, rather than running out of fuel because you've had lunch at 12 o'clock, maybe eat lunch at 11, have another lunch at 2 or 3 so that you've got your fuel to have when you're going at 5.30, say. And you might top up with a piece of fruit, glass of milk, or a yogurt, something with some carbohydrates and some protein just before exercise. And if you're not doing that, it's still things like think about some protein and carbohydrate. Because most doesn't matter what exercise we're doing, you still have to fuel yourself for it with some carbohydrate and you still want to recover with your muscles. So whether you're doing some weights at the gym or you're going for a run, you're still using muscles that need to repair and recover. And depending on how much exercise you're doing and for when your next exercise will going to be will depend on probably how much you need to have. Most things, even things like baked beans on toast, some tuna and rice, It could be some leftover pasta from the night before, or it could be just a glass of milk. So it doesn't have to be complicated, but it is important to think about fueling yourself. And you would have heard of things like REDS, which is energy deficit. And people often wonder why they're getting too tired. They sometimes think it's because they're overtraining and they're not getting the goals that they want with either body composition or with exercise. And often it's just, we're not eating enough and they do the opposite. They cut back thinking that's going to work when um, often we actually need to, don't be scared, increase uh, the amount of food that you're having. Mm. Because it's often sort of the golden rule that if the goal with exercise or training, whether you're an elite athlete or I would say an everyday athlete, is generally the harder the session or the more that you would like to make some goals or, you know, performance-based achievements within that session, the more you need to actually think about that pre-workout fueling as well. Because I have a lot of clients who say, my goal is to put on muscle mass or change my body composition. If they're getting up and they're going to a 6am gym session completely fasted on an empty tank basically absolutely and then one you can't perform the task as well so therefore you're not improving your skill because you're tired so if it's a skill you're trying to perform particularly you want to make sure that you've got enough energy to do it and you're more likely to get injured if you haven't fueled and you're tired and then also yeah expecting your body over an overnight fast your body is going to be, have to burn up some of your stored energy to fuel it rather than sparing it to um, build your muscles. So, yeah, definitely pack something. A quick trick that people can do is if they're really busy, get a loaf of bread and just make a whole lot of sandwiches, put them in the freezer, and then you've got it to just grab out. It could even just be a peanut butter sandwich, Vegemite and cheese sandwich. Grab that as an extra bit to take off to work or to school or whatever uh, so that you've got that ready to eat before you're exercising doesn't have to be gourmet. 
And what about those early morning ones? Because I know a lot of my ladies would struggle to eat a sandwich at, say, 4.45 in the morning or 5.30 in the morning. We really think about it in terms of about, it's about 15 to 20 grams of carbohydrate, isn't it? So a couple of, you know, medjool dates or half a banana, a couple of sips of juice. Is that enough to get you through an early morning workout when you're just not feeling like, you know, a full meal in the morning? So it depends on how hard you're going to exercise. You can train your stomach to actually exercise with food in it. So the first few times you do it, you might go, oh, no, I feel like I'm going to be sick. But if you get up and you literally go and have whatever it is to eat first and then you get dressed, go to the toilet, do whatever you're going to do and then get to the gym. So you're maximising the time between when you actually have something to when you're going to exercise. That would be my number one. If you find it's a bit of trouble, just do it straight away. And number two is actually practice having a bit in there before you exercise. You could also think about the night before. So if you're going to exercise really early in the morning, maybe you actually have a top-up snack before you go to bed and that way you might not need to have as much in the morning. And also think about liquid. So that's where just some yogurt that's pretty easily digested, a glass of milk, it might be something like just, as you said, some medjool diets could be dry, any dried fruit could be dried apricots, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I guess I wanted to come back to pre-workouts in terms of the powdered kind of supplement. I know it's really used a lot in the elite sporting community and it's used a lot within like the bodybuilders in the gym, I guess, community as well. What's the biggest difference between those pre-workout type powders or having something like half a banana or a couple of medjool dates? What's the biggest difference there? Why would somebody choose one over the other? Yeah, I think, Land, I'll start with people often do think that our lead athletes use them, but I didn't use them at all. So in my 25 years of working in elite sport, I did not recommend them to any athletes. Wow. It's just that perception. Yeah, because I feel most of them, particularly the ones I work, are pretty young and they're in a team environment. So there's a lot of energy already floating around in the gym. There's music pumping. And I said, if that can't be enough to get you motivated and, you know, pumped, ready to exercise, I don't really think a pre-workout's going to do it. (laughs) So I would suggest if people want that bit of a buzz, maybe it's a coffee, Mm -hmm. you know, because you want that caffeine fix. At least we know what's in that cup of coffee. And I find that's much safer in my opinion, particularly when I was working with athletes who have to be drug tested. So I would be, let's just fuel with food that is going to be fairly quickly digested. So the pre-workout is looking at hydrating you and trying generally there will give you a buzz of caffeine. And as I said, you can often get that buzz of caffeine from a simple cup of coffee. You can get some electrolytes, which are often pre-workouts. We can get electrolytes in milk, You can get it in uh, oral rehydration fluid, a little bit of sports drink, fruit juice, or simply eating some fruit or some yogurt. They're all going to have electrolytes in them. So I think that we could certainly be getting those same sorts of buzz just by the people around you, the music, the coffee, and some food. And the food is going to give you nutrients to actually fuel the session and recover, which is really important. We can't lose sight of the recovery and the normal needing to be healthy because if you're getting sick then you can't be performing at your best so food's going to help prevent you from getting sick as well yeah awesome because there's so many nutrients in there which you're just not going to find those types of nutrients in something like a powdered pre-workout are you absolutely and also Alain, you probably hear people say oh at times we'll talk about things like we'll buy some, I don't know, raspberries or blueberries or nice mango in some season or s- some fish or seafood. And p- sometimes people don't want to spend money on that. 
but they're happy to spend it on the pre-workout. And it's like, well, no, actually spend it on the things that we know are going to work rather than on the pre-workout, which could be doing you harm. But um, read the labels and it's also sometimes about what's convenient for people as to where they're exercising. So I'm not saying it can't, but uh, look at other options. Mm, and I think label reading, particularly on supplements, is so important because you just don't know what some of these things are made, do you? And look for um, either the HASTA symbol or the informed sports symbol. So at least that will show that the product has been tested to make sure it doesn't have any banned substances. And even if you're not a lead athlete, that's still a good guide because even if you're not a lead athlete, you still don't want substances that are not going to be good for your body. Also, um, lots of people don't know, but even if you're playing local netball or footy or whatever it is, you're not supposed to have any banned substances either. It's actually for all the strains. It's just that you're not going to have someone from Asada rock up at your netball game Drug to test you. <laughs> <laughs> However, if you're caught import, so you're ordering online and you're caught to be ordering a product that has a known banned substance in it, then you can actually be banned from sport and fined as well. So it's not just elite athletes that need to be careful. Always buy Australian. Yeah, yeah, it's a good tip. Um, and taking going back a little bit, you mentioned post-workout fueling was really important as well. So what we do pre-workout matters, but how we recover post-workout matters as well. So what are we thinking when it comes to post-workout nutrition? Because I have a lot of clients who will go to the gym, you know, after their work, um, you know, it might be a tradie or something like that who knocks off at 2 or 3 p.m., but then they're not eating dinner till 7 o'clock. I know a lot of these guys, if the goal is to gain muscle mass, they're using a protein shake, but we really want to get away from using all of those supplements, particularly because I have a lot of people who write in to the podcast and say, hey, I listen and my teenagers want to take protein supplements because they're all the rage. What can I do about that? Is that safe for them to have? So what do you suggest in terms of post-workout fueling? Who needs it? And what are some great options besides a protein powder? So often I'll suggest people to have whatever their normal meal would be ready before they work out so that you can just actually move whatever was your meal to having it straight workout, particularly for people who are maybe wanting to manage their weight and not wanting to put on weight. Rather than adding in extra food, just move your meal around to suit before exercise and the after exercise so they're not actually adding extra in but they're still making the most of it. For those who want to gain weight, then it, they could still move their extra meal there or they could add in an extra meal. And I try and tend to get people to think about meal foods rather than snack foods because if we think about meal foods, then they're going to have more of the nutrients we need, such as if it's a meal, we're probably going to have either some lean meat or eggs or chicken or fish or lentils or something in it for the protein. And then if we would be having some carbohydrate usually, so whether it be potato, rice, pasta, bread, corn, things like that. And then you would also be getting your nutrients in because you might have some veggies or some salad rather than it just being a bar, you know, a, a protein bar or a snack bar or a muesli bar, which is not really going to tick all the boxes. So maybe when you're cooking dinner the night before, cook extra so that you've got it ready to have after that post-workout meal. And then you go home and, and cook your next meal that you're going to have maybe at seven o'clock. So double some extra food from the night before, I think is often a good one. And then in terms of convenience, if you arm, um, often when we were having athletes I've worked with when they're traveling a meal, sometimes they're too tired to eat a meal straight away or we're traveling and we're not, you know, haven't quite got the time yet to do it. I always think a milk, just a milk drink is good. I used to do some work with Rokeby Farms with the protein smoothie and you can get some of the high protein milks now that are actually not protein powder, 
but they're filtered milk. So they're going to have extra protein just because they've removed some of the water from the milk. I think that's good. Or to make a smoothie, milk, yogurt, nuts, seeds, fruit in there, blitz that up. That's a pretty a good one for someone who's wanting to gain weight. Uh, so I don't, I think my biggest one is just have a meal ready to have that straight after where you can. And milk, really those protein powers are basically dried milk in most cases. Mm-hmm. And what about if the timing doesn't quite work out for say a main meal? Like say you are working out at say 2 p.m. on a Saturday, would you want to eat your dinner at 3 p.m.? It's probably a bit too late for lunch, but probably a bit too early for dinner. Yeah. And that's probably why I say have that early lunch at 11 and then have part two lunch at two. But if not, a bowl of soup I always found really good because that will help hydrate you. And when I was working at the Australian cricket team, often at afternoon tea time, soup, even though it was summer, MCG, soup was often a meal they would have because that way you're going to get electrolytes, you're going to get fluid, and then you can tailor what's in the soup to suit you. So if you need more carbs, it can have rice or potatoes or lentils in it. If you need protein, it can have lentils in it or it can have some meat. So cooking up a big batch at the start of the week so that you've actually got that for post-workout. And again, if you need more carbs with it, you can just add bread to it. So I find that's often a good one. Or breakfast cereal. Breakfast cereal and you just add then if you need extra protein, you add in extra yogurt or nuts or seeds. Um, If you don't want it to be too high in calories or you want it to be a smaller meal, you have a little bit of a a muesli with your milk and a bit of fruit. So you're getting, ticking all those boxes again. Yeah. And post-workout, probably the two most important nutrients are our carbohydrates and our protein, aren't they? Yes. And particularly thinking of though protein that's going to give, come from foods that are going to give you iron and zinc and, you know, those other vitamins and minerals that we also need. And that's why the whole food is certainly the best way to get that. And focusing on a well-rounded meal, even if it's a smaller size meal versus snacking, like you said. Yeah. So I think it's just changing how we think. We think that's dinner time food and we can't eat it earlier, but there's no reason why you can't eat some leftover stir fry at two o'clock, or as I said, the soup, or it might be, I did a beautiful lamb in the slow cooker the other day and I put lentils and tomatoes in it and carrots and things. And then I got a wrap and I put a little bit of it in the wrap put in some sliced tomato, a bit of cheese, put it in my toasted sandwich maker, but then got out a whole lot of lettuce afterwards and put it in on top. And therefore it was using some leftovers to make a meal, but it was ticking my boxes of my protein, my carbs, and still getting my veg as a snack. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. And I had a similar example with a client the other day. She got, I think maybe 80, 85% of the way through her dinner. And she said, look, I'm really full. I can't finish it. Should I, should I be finishing it? And I said, no, put it back in the fridge. We're going to have it for morning tea the next day. And she's like, oh, that's weird. I've never thought about having it for morning tea. I would have normally just either thrown it out or forced myself to eat it because I thought that I needed it. So even if there's a little portion of leftovers, 10, 20% of the meal, that can work really well as like a little, you know, post-workout recovery snack as well, as you mentioned. And also, therefore, she probably wasn't then reaching at morning tea time for biscuits or cakes or something like that. She's had something more filling at morning tea. And then if she needs to have a smaller lunch because she's fuller at morning tea, that also doesn't matter. Mm, mm, Love it. Love it. Let's take a quick healthy break and a quick breather. If you have a smartwatch, check your stats. If you had a Garmin, you'd be able to check your health stats for up to 11 days on one charge. It's a smartwatch that spends more time on your wrist and less time on charge. So if you're tired of charging your fitness smartwatch every night, get a Garmin. Wearing your smartwatch for longer could give you a more complete picture of your health. 
A Garmin can help you manage your stress levels with relaxation reminders and short breathing activities when your watch detects that you're stressed. It can monitor your energy levels throughout the day so you can find the best times for activity and rest. And it also has a hydration tracking tool that allows you to log your daily fluid intake. Now you can do more on a single charge. See which Garmin suits you at garmin.com.au and use my code LEANNE10 on any venue SQ2 for a limited time only. Now, let's get back to our show. All right. Well, what about energy levels? Because I know it's something a lot of people struggle with during exercise, but also outside of exercise as well. So what would your top suggestions be for our everyday athletes to help them maintain energy throughout a session, but also outside of that throughout their you know, day-to-day life? I think one of them, Leanne, is when we talked about underfueling. And I don't know, do you see that with the people you work with? A little bit, yeah. Mostly they're just not getting it right throughout the day. Like they're skipping meals and then they're doing bulk calories at nighttime or something like that. So, yeah, I would be one, um, are you eating enough total throughout the day? Number two is, yes, are you spreading it out evenly throughout the day so that you're not having a big meal where you feel like you need to like roast, you know, Christmas dinner and you need to have a nap uh, versus spreading it out when you need it. And it's about listening to your body. Some people are more hungry in the morning. Some people are more hungry in the evening. So it's okay to not be the same as everyone else. Then if you that tiredness or that fatigue is continual, obviously going to get things like your iron tested, making sure that you have some blood work done to see that there isn't actually something going on. But another really common one is hydration. So when people are yawning, it's often because they're actually dehydrated. So we're working in environments like that are heated and air conditioned. And then in our cars, we're often heating and air conditioning. And that's a very dehydrating environment for your skin. So it's really, even if you're not out there doing a lot of exercise, you're continually losing from evaporation fluid from your skin. So I would be also checking whether you've had enough fluid throughout the day and not trying to guzzle, looking at your watch going, I've got an exercise session in one hour. I'm going to scull a litre of fluid because that's not going to hydrate you very well. That's going to just basically your kidneys will just flush most of that out. It's really important for your energy levels to be having across the day. And then the other one is sleeping. So thinking about when do you eat your meals, making sure you're not too full before you go to bed or not too hungry because that can interfere with your sleep. And as we know, sleep's so important for energy and feeling whether you're tired. Checking if you had too much caffeine throughout the day because that without you noticing it could be affecting your sleep and the same with alcohol. So alcohol does affect you going into enough of your deep sleep. It can often make you more restless and that's often a cause of people feeling very tired. So looking at are you having enough to eat, spring it out over the day, blood test for iron if you need to, hydration and are you eating any things that are affecting your sleep like caffeine, alcohol or too much or too little. Yeah, I love it. And alcohol is a big one because I know a lot of people actually, or adults, I should say, actually use it to help them fall asleep, but it actually impacts the quality of the sleep. So we think that it helps, but it's actually doing the opposite of what we want it to do. It just doesn't allow us to fall into that deep REM stage of sleep. Yeah. Yep, definitely. And causes dehydration as well if we're having too much. 
Of course, which is, you know, leads us perfectly into the next segment about hydration, (laughs) because I really wanted to ask you, I mean, I get this question all the time and it's how much water should I be drinking? And, you know, we have that blanket advice of what is it, eight cups a day or two liters a day, but everybody's different. Like I'm, I'm six foot one. I I shouldn't have the same hydration requirements as somebody else. Like me, who's five foot two. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So what is it, I guess, what is the recommendation when it comes to hydration? Because I generally say to my clients, have you checked the color of your pee? You know, and they look at me shocked and I say, well, if your urine is really, really dark, it's a sign that we're not hydrated well enough. So you need to get onto that because often by the time you actually feel quite thirsty, you're probably already dehydrated before that even gets there. So do you get your everyday athletes to check the color of their urine or do you have another strategy for us? Well, we do. And and funny, um, Liam, when I go to high schools to talk to them about nutrition and I often tell them to look at their pee, you say, oh, you see their faces and they're all like, oh, um, but uh, back when I, c- I can remember when I was working at cricket and I would actually get the players to do a wee sample first thing in the morning and then I would get them to do it during the innings and we would line them up and look at it, how it changed because cricket's a long game and you actually want to make sure that you're not getting d- too dehydrated. So the only thing about your urine is you can get a false negative. So, you know, before when I was saying about if you scull a whole lot of water just before at once, your kidneys will filter it out. So it will look like you've got very clear urine, but you might not be hydrated. So urine is a good one to look at, but remember that if you have sculled a whole lot of water at once, you'll probably get the next urine to be very clear. It is about spreading the water out throughout the day so your body can absorb it best. Remembering in the morning, it will be at your darkest, but before you go to bed, it should be fairly clear but not to the point that you're going to the toilet all the time. I've had a couple of athletes who have overhydrated and it then interferes with their sleep. So you want to keep hydrated, but not to the point where it's waking you up more than once in the evening, because otherwise it's going to you know, interfere with your sleep. How much you need goes on your body weight, but it also goes on how much exercise you're doing and whether you're a big sweater or not. So for elite athletes, we would often measure with a thing called a urine specific gravity machine. So you take a little sample of the urine and you put it in there. But even those can give you false positives or negatives. So again, if your urine sample is very clear because you've sculled a whole lot, it'll look like you're well hydrated. So I think the best thing for the average person to do is to think about when they're thirsty, they definitely need to drink. Having some water around, I often say once you've been to the toilet, go and get a glass of water. So find triggers, could be having water with your meal or after your meal or when you've gone to the toilet. So think about uh, what can trigger you to remind you to have enough water so you've got fairly clear urine and you're not feeling too thirsty. Mm-hmm. And what are your tips for people that don't like water? Because I have a lot of clients who just say, I either don't like it or I just get bored of having it all the time. So, you know, can I have a bit of sugar-free soft drink or can I have a little bit of kombucha or can I have, you know, sparkling water? Does that count as water as well? What do you say to those people that just don't like water or don't like drinking it 24-7? <laughs> I don't understand it because I love water. I don't know why, but I actually love the taste of water, which is a bit weird, I know. Uh, sparkling water and soda water, yes, um, plain, but remember that they are both a little bit acidic, so try not to be sipping on them because that can affect the enamel on your teeth. So if you're going to have it, have it as a drink, whether it be with your meal or just having to drink, but not in a water bottle that you would be sipping it all day long. The same with if you're putting 
lemon or fruit or lime or something in your water, that's okay to have it as your drink that you're just, you know, going to have within the next half an hour. But I wouldn't be putting it in a drink bottle that you're sipping over an eight hour period of time because it will yeah, wear down the uh, enamel on your teeth. Milk is mostly water, but the benefit of having the electrolytes in it. So a glass of milk is great. Also cups of tea and coffee do count to your hydration unless you're having too many. So certainly if you drink your tea weak, there's not going to be so much caffeine in there that it's going to have what we call a diuretic effect. It will still have a positive effect and particularly herbal teas. But do remember that green tea has got caffeine in it. A lot of people don't realize that. So I'd be having tea, whether it be make it iced tea in summertime just with your tea bag, not the ones that are full of sugar like a soft drink. Also, coffee is still going to count as long as it's too much. But also think about things like eating watermelon or other fruits which are about 80% water. Soup will count to your fluid if that's your afternoon snack, tomato soup maybe, yogurt, custard. They're all still going to be fluids as well. Particularly for our older generation or people struggling to maintain their weight, then try and use fluids that are actually going to give you some, some calories or some nutrients as well. The only one is alcohol. I think Ben Desgrove, who's a dietitian, did a study, found that you could have up to two pots of beer, so 250 mils, and it won't have a dehydrating effect. After your two standard drinks, it will have a dehydrating effect. So you can maybe have one alcoholic beer after <laughs> exercise, but after that, yeah, it will have a dehydrating effect. Yeah, so don't go and have a big bender after you run a marathon. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly right. Or even after just any contact sport, not a great idea. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now we're going to, again, change track and talk about our little mini athletes. So thinking about kids who do, you know, the standard weekend, you know, soccer, basketball, netball game, particularly sometimes I get messages from parents who say, my kids are nervous, they don't want to eat, or they're going to say a netball carnival all weekend. There's like four or five back-to-back -back games. What should I be packing them? Because I know on a lot of those weekend games, the lollies, like they're just everywhere. Um, you know, sometimes there's halftime oranges at soccer games. Are you a fan of those sorts of things? What's a good brekkie to really fuel up our kids for sort of like a whole day sporting carnival or even just, you know, maybe two basketball games early on a Saturday morning? So let's start with the halftime oranges. Big fan of halftime oranges. Bring back, I think I wrote a blog post a while ago on bring back the halftime oranges. So definitely those. I don't see why we need to have a bag of lollies for a 40-minute netball game. Uh, it's just not net. Not saying that we can't have a lolly or whatever, but we're certainly when our body's not needing the fuel at that time. The oranges or any fruit is going to give a bit of hydration to your mouth. It's not that you're going to run out of energy in a game. If you've got a carnival, I'll often suggest pack your lunch but cut it up into small bits. So some people go, oh, no, but I can't eat my sandwich in between games. So that's fine. This is particularly with swimmers that I work with. Have a quarter of the sandwich now. Have a quarter of the sandwich after and, you know, break it up. Or the wrap. Wraps are good because you can cut them into, you know, bite-sized bits. Or even sushi, you can cut it up into bits or rice paper rolls. Uh, so you still think of those meal foods or those whole foods, but how you can make them into smaller portions. And I have cyclists who, rather than having always wraps or the gel bars or gels and things like that, it's cut your sandwich, even if you cut the crust off, cut your sandwich up in small bits and have it as little bits as so in between games or as you're cycling. So I think that's the best way. Have bunches of fruits. It could be grapes. Um, it could be bits of pineapple chopped up. Canned fruit, even the little, um, you know, the ones that you just pull back the lid of the canned fruit or putting it into a container yogurt as long as you keep it cold so I think all of those things 
you can easily do and just spread it out over the day is the trick. If you're not wanting to eat before the match or the game in the morning, if it's one that only lasts for about 40 minutes, it's probably not a big issue. Just have some fluid, fuel afterwards, make sure you've eaten the night before. If it's something more like an AFL game, which really does go for between 90 minutes to 120 minutes, like it's a longer game, I would be saying do that trick of, okay, you might cut your banana up into four. You might have a bit when you get up, a little bit before the game. You might have some oranges at quarter time and half time. So it's just about spreading it out over the time because otherwise you can get some gut upset at the end of, say, a footy game, which I have had with my footballers because it's an hour or so before the game they don't eat and then we become three or four hours into it and that's too long for your gut not to have anything in it without it getting upset. Mm-hmm. And probably leads you more open to risk of injury and cramping and that sort of thing if you're basically fasted. Absolutely. Yep, yep. But a glass of milk, tub of yogurt, a little bit of even plain pasta or, or something like a rice pudding. Rice pudding's really easy to digest, creamy rice, that sort of thing, custard, they're probably things that kids could easily eat on the morning before sport. Mm-hmm. And if they're not dairy fans or, you know, kids maybe, you know, dairy allergies, that sort of thing, would even just a few sips of Powerade or something be appropriate if they're not wanting to eat something? Oh, you could, but I would I'd probably be preferring that even if they made it with soy milk or another milk and almond milk and made a bit of a smoothie. I think encouraging kids to have sports strength in fairly short period of sport is completely unnecessary and develops a habit to it. Kids who need sports strength are kids who are doing very high intense exercise for long periods, backing it up in hot weather. You know, so it might be a swimmer who's doing, you know, does a a few 3Ks, which often young kids could be doing, then they might because in the pool it might be a bit harder to eat or they're doing it fast a game of cricket maybe because it's a long period and you are needing the electrolytes and children might therefore not drink enough water. But for most short periods of games, soccer game, football game and stuff, no, water and have something to eat. Train their stomach. Yeah, and saving those kind of sports drink kind of things for big carnival days so they're more like these special occasion things versus the everyday Saturday morning sport. Yeah. 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 Amazing. Okay. And then I guess to wrap up the potty today, is there anything else that you would like to let our listeners know about eating for the everyday athlete or big common mistakes that you often see or some easy resources that you've got available that might help us out? Um, Whether it be whatever sport we're playing, whether we're a runner or a gym goer or, you know, a social netballer, anything else you can give our listeners today in terms of helping us out? I think one of the biggest things is to make sure you enjoy your food. And one of the ways to really enjoy our food is to have a big variety of it. So if you've tried a food, whether you're an adult or a child, and you didn't like it, try it again and try it again and again. So at least 10 times, uh, try it in different ways. Cook your food so that it tastes good. You know, roasting veggies, it's always going to taste better than if you're steaming or boiling them. So think about flavour and think about presenting foods in fun and enjoyable ways and try them lots of times and get your kids in the kitchen. That's really important. And in terms of resources, always have a look to see that information you're reading about nutrition is actually written by someone who's credible. And so as we mentioned, I have my book, Eat Like an Athlete, which you can get digital copies still. So you can order those at any sort of bookstore online, but also the other place I'm working at, Healthy Life, where all the free health articles and free health programs are written by health professionals. Or there's so healthy life and just have a look at that. There's also Sports Dietitians Australia have heaps of facts and tip sheets for different sports. So look up your sport and there'll be tips there for you to have a look at. And they're all going to be written by dietitians. So 
yeah, always be cautious as to what you read on social media, check who's written the information and, um, yeah, check out Healthy Life and uh, Sports Dietitians Australia. And there's also a great tool, sorry, called the uh, Food Tracker tool. You find it on your Woolies app or your rewards app on Healthy Life and it gets your food, you scan your rewards card and it gets all your food that you purchase and it compares it to the Australian Dietary Guidelines for you. And you can enter your household in there and therefore you can see are we actually buying enough of all the core foods compared to the amount of discretionary or the less healthy foods. So sometimes we don't realise what we're buying or what we're not buying, so that's a really good free tool to use as well. Yeah, wonderful. And also I'll add in the um, Eat for Health website as well. If people are confused about what a portion of, say, fruit might be or what a serving of vegetables might be or what's an appropriate serving of carbohydrate, there's some really great resources on the Eat for Health website as well. Yeah. And the food tracker is based all on that. So um, it shows you all the servings and how many servings, and it's all based on that website. Wonderful. All right. We might link a couple of those in our show notes as well, so our listeners can easily find them. Great. Wonderful. All right, Simone, well, it was an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much for joining us. And just quickly with your book, you mentioned it's available um, in terms of an electronic copy. Where would our listeners grab that? Or is it available on your website or your social media? Do you want to let our listeners know where they can follow you? Yeah, so they can follow me on Instagram. So Simone underscore Austin. So I'd love to see people just think of my name, Simone Austin, and that's where you'll find me for most places. On Facebook as well, Simone Austin Dietitian. My website, simoneaustin.com.au. And if you just Google Eat Like an Athlete, my book will come up and you can get it on Booktopia or any of your, your bookstores, readings, any of these should be able to get it in digital copy. If you really want a hard copy of it, you can contact me and we can work out uh, sending one. But uh, Simone Austin, Simone underscore Austin on Instagram. So let me know how you're going. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much again for joining us and imparting all of your wisdom on us. I'm sure you've given our listeners a lot of food for thought. So we can't thank you enough for coming on the show today. Thanks, Leanne.